Hej. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for listening to the It's All Music podcast with me, Carrie, Henny and Corky. We are blown away by your support and your continued listenership. The It's All Music podcast is completely independent self-finance venture. If you enjoy our content and you'd like to support what we're doing, you can head over to our Patreon page and subscribe for three euros a month. If you don't have the money, please share it on all your social media platforms. And that'll be just as good. Thanks from the lads. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You're mocking my one. <laughs> from the lads. Hey there and welcome to another episode of It's All Music, the music interview podcast with Carey, Henny and Quirky. Your host, the H-Bomb, Owen Hennessy, co-hosts Mike Carey and me, Dave Quirk. We're sitting down today with a man who has been playing music professionally his whole life, a man who has played a wide variety of music over the years, a former member of Loudest Whisper and the Noel Reading Band, a man who appeals to every taste, playing guitar, piano, keyboard, fiddle, accordion, banjo, mandolin, harmonica, dobro, a multi-instrumentalist who can play just about anything and any genre, a legend of music here in Southern Ireland, playing in venues from Brazil to Russia and stopping off in Nile Max and Middleton for the Monday night session on his way. He's done it all and I'm sure he's plenty more to do. We're thrilled to have him here on the It's All Music podcast. Please give it up for and welcome Mr. Mo Connor. Here comes Mo O'Connor, Mo O'Connor, Mo fucking Connor. <laughs> Everybody gets one though. Everybody gets one. Mo O'Connor. I'm very, I'm very impressed. I don't know what to say. I'll tell you what to do that for you, Niall Mac. So. I, well, you, you normally only get that stuff after you die. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, were me- we were meaning to tell you. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, like, it's like a live wake here. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we're and, aiming and, for. And I have to say, I'm sure it's been said already, but driving down here tonight, <laughs> when I hit the grass in the middle of the road, yeah. uh, and uh, the ominous boring that went on for a couple of miles, I said, if... if, if it reminds me of that scene from Goodfellas where your mentor is going to be made yeah. when he walks into the garage and he, and he gets whacked. I had that kind of feeling. Mo O'Connor, welcome to the It's yeah. On Music Podcast headquarters where we're going to sit down with you and have a chat for the next hour or so about what you've done in music and what you like in music and what's ahead for you in music and what you're currently doing now. Um, I suppose we'll start where we start with everyone when they come in and we ask the same question. What is your earliest memories of music what was on in the house growing up what was what can you attribute as your earliest inspiration or motivated when did you realize music that's something i might be interested in well yes that's a great question and um um and i love this because there's no there's no um rehearsal it's all off the cuff Mm -hmm. and uh and that's a that's a great question first of all it puts you in the a bit of perspective here. I'm 68 right now, last November. So when I was a child, uh, it was only a radio we had in the house. There was no TV. And um, so the music on the radio. And I suppose um, I was born in 54. So I would have heard Patsy Cline, Hank Williams, that kind of thing, you know. And um, I think a, a big uh, um, thing with me, I had... Uh, Neighbours down the road, the Toomey family, who I used to hang out with a lot, and they were a lot older, and they were it was a house of music, and they they um they had all the records of Dead Buddy Holly's first album, 
uh, mentioned Patsy Klein, Hank Williams, um, all all of that, um, all of that music, Chuck Berry, all of that. And then on Sunday night, um, in uh, up the river from where I lived in the Hern, there was an open air stage, and there'd be a band playing in the open air stage. And I remember, I my mother would let me sit out in the pier outside our house, and I could hear the music coming down the, the valley. And uh, there could be, you know, um, yeah, hits of the day, walk on by, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, it went, um, the radio, then we got a record player, remember that? It was a big thing in the house. And um, we got a eclectic um, collection of records, really. We had everything from the, an album of Sean McGuire, the great fiddle player, to the Dubliners Live. And, uh, and, and, uh, my mother then used to go, used to bring a lot of second-hand records in Cork. She brought me records of Ray Charles. And uh, so when I was a child, I would listen to Ray Charles and um, George Jones and all that kind of thing. So much so that when I started getting into music later on, I was into Rory Gallagher and I was long-haired hippie, I was kind of like being a cross-dresser. I was afraid, I was in the, people come over the house and say, oh my God, who, who owns those records? I saw that one to my mother. But I, I was listening. You, you couldn't kind of admit it. You know what I mean? It would be uncool to it. It would be totally uncool. Yes. But um, so that, that is, and um, and I, I, I'd say, actually, while we're on the subject here now, I read a lot of poetry, and I have, um, if I can, uh, I just, I didn't expect this now. Here, um, here's a poem. It's called R.I.P. Chuck Berry. When Chuck Berry died, and I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, when he died, and I wrote his poem. And this poem, it, it would give you a kind of a, uh, maybe a, a feel of that, as I'm saying, listen to the music. Here it is. R.I.P. Chuck Berry. I sat on the wall outside our house on a summer's night in 1958. The music from a Hearn stage drifted down the river. I was four years old, milking the last light of a long summer's night. Ignoring the call for bed. I heard the mournful sound of a Hank song. I'm so lonesome I could cry. And the fog from the bride shrouded the valley. The open air stage, out of clerical jurisdiction, hosted the pagan sound of Memphis. Then I heard Johnny be good from the port of rock and roll. I still hear it now in San Paulo, Brazil. Thanks, Maud. That was lovely. That was lovely. I'll sit on the wall with you there, actually, for a second. So that's my only childhood. And then, um, I suppose then, my father was a great singer. He was a great singer and uh, loved music. So uh, at the time in in the nearby Tallow Festival was a big thing at the time. And it went on for a whole week. And speaking of Tallow, every Wednesday night in Tallow, there would be... um, Big showman, the Royal Showman. The, I saw the Dubliners and Taller back in the sixties, and uh, so I was brought into the festival. There'd be a talent competition. I'd be singing and that, and and um, and other places. There was a festival in Lismore, and this is interesting. At the festival in Lismore, I went down I sent this, in this talent competition, and we went to the wine vaults pub in Lismore after for. Um, I fell for a few pints and there was a ballad session. Ballad sessions were starting to become a thing in pubs at the time. And there was a thing in, in RT, it was called, um, 
called Balladour or something like that. You had a lot of uh, uh, Anne Bourne, Jesse Owens, all those people, early days of uh, Emmett Spiceland, Don Lunny, obviously, the Johnsons. And uh, two of the Clancy brothers, uh, not Liam, but I think uh, Bobby and Paddy Clancy were judging this competition and I came second or something. It was a ballad singing competition. It was an old, a singing competition, what do yeah. call it? It was in the, the, whole, the festival in Lismore. So we went back to the pub. And there was a guy from Dublin, if I were a beer, I don't know who he was, but he was playing guitar. And that was the first time I saw a guitar up close. Right. It's hard to believe that today, you know, when oh. you, wouldn't you be that? Yeah. But I was saying, gee, it was unbelievable. There's an island string guitar and he was playing guitar. That's the first, my first time actually seeing a guy from ETU playing guitar. And uh, that, that's an early memory. And then... What age uh, more? Sorry. I was about... Um, I was about 12 or 13 at, at that stage. Oh. Right? Yeah. But then... Uh, I got an unplayable guitar for Christmas, maybe, you know, I was about 13, but I, I never, but I didn't really get a guitar until I was uh, 17 and a half. Um, my father died when I was 16, very traumatic, he died of cancer. He was only 58 at the time, and uh, a year after he died, um, 1972, uh, I came back from, um, I was after seeing Rory in the City Hall, I used to go to see Rory Geller at the time, it was a common thing, and um, that was a big thing, you know, you'd We'd get a bus to Cork or Hitch, and I, my sister lived in Cork, she's still there, and I'd stay with her and go to the concert. That was a, a huge thing. And I remember after seeing Rory in the City Hall, and I came home and I said to my mother, that's it, I need a guitar, and uh, she bought me a guitar. I was uh, 17 and a half at the time. So I, then I started playing the guitar obsessively, which imparted on my education, yeah. which was a good thing. <laughs> I said, if I didn't get the guitar I'd probably have got a good leaving cert and sat in an office for the last 50 years looking out the window Yeah, but instead right. of that I told the world and yeah. we talk about yeah. that anyway so that, that's it what, what was that guitar Mo do you remember hmm? what was that guitar the first guitar you got when you were first 17 guitar was, was it an electric um, guitar acoustic no, guitar no no acoustic guitar and uh, I didn't get electric guitar for years right okay and uh, acoustic guitar um it was an island string guitar with steel strings on it. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know the name, but I don't have it now. But, uh, yeah. And uh, the first good acoustic guitar I got was um, a Yamaha FG180. And I got that from Crowley's, Michael Crowley's in Cork. And that, that yeah. was... Um, because in those days, like, there was no there was no good cheap guitars really in those days. No, yeah. Right. In the electric yeah. world, you had Gibson Fenders, Gibson Les Paul, Fender Strat, Telly, whatever... Then you had Martins, and there was nothing else. Everything yeah. else was a dog like. Yeah. Except yeah. for Yamaha came out. The and had a Yamaha. Yeah. yeah. The old Yamaha is a lot. And if you see the, um, the great clip of Paul Brady playing um, Arthur McBride, he's playing a, a Yamaha FG 180, I think it's on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I got that guitar, and that, that was my guitar for a long time. And then uh, I didn't get an electric guitar then until um, 1975. I started playing in 72, and I was playing for three years, playing acoustic. And I had no interest in playing gigs or anything. Mm. I was just, uh, I was working um, with my brother, Peter, at the time, he's dead since, um, in 91. And he was a plasterer, and I was working with him. And I suppose when you'd be standing uh, in front of a mixer at 8 o'clock in the morning, freezing, you know, you'd, you'd, say, you know, you'd get mine from music. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about that before, yeah. 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 What's yeah. the definition of talent? I often say it's a fair real work. Uh, you know what I mean but um, <laughs> so, so then um, yeah. uh, I was a bartender uh, barman for my in the Royal Hotel and 
who comes into the hotel one day was Oliver Tobin. Now Oliver Tobin lived in from my his his, his brother Bernie had the Twilight Zone, and they were famous for they had the Impact show band that Rory started out. Rory Gallagher was and they had the fan, they built the Fontana first. They became the Impact. So I was a fanatic on Rory Gallagher. That's all I wanted to play was his acoustic stuff, and and then I got into blues from that. So he came in and he said, listen, I'm starting a band. Would you like to be really interested? I had no interest in that. I said, not at all. I said, God, wearing a suit. And I'm not a, I said, no. Look, he said, you'd make twice the money uh, at this and you can stay at home practicing guitar. And that sounded pretty good. So I started playing with him, a band called The Sailors. And that was it. And I've been at it since. That's 1975. Yeah. So you did your first gig in 1975. 1975. Electric yeah. guitar with... With the band uh, with The Sailors. The yeah, and we were playing Sailors. in the... Twilight Zone and um, we were a four-piece band first and then the Chris Hayes, Christy Hayes, he left his play guitar, keyboards and then we were a three-piece band, myself and guitar, Oliver and um, Pat Sullivan, a drummer from Mr. Sound and of course Oliver had great stories about Rory Gallagher. Oliver was in Rory's first trio that went to Germany before Taste. Oh yeah. It yeah. was Oliver on bass, Johnny Campbell actually on drums and Rory. And that's kind of the reason I think I, I was... You were drawn to it. Exactly. Yeah, so the connection with Rory. So then we started playing and we were doing uh, in Red Barn here. Just on just the road. Just on the road, yeah. We were playing the, the relief band, as they call it. We were playing for the main band every Sunday night. This is 1976. So we every Sunday night we were in Red Barn. And that was an amazing experience because you were playing before. It could be Tweed, Red Hurley, whoever. And you, you got a chance to play through Great Hamps, you know, like... Yeah. You know, these guys had Marshall Stacks, so Gay Brazil from Tweed had an MPEG uh, combo, I remember that stack. But anyway, I'm yapping away a mess. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we want to hear yeah. that. Actually, we get a lot of guys in um, yeah. doing the pub circuit, doing the wedding stuff, but it's rare we hear stories of that, which we would which would be considered really the kind of show band era nearly yeah, yeah. Of, of music, you know. Well, in Ireland at the time, you had the show band thing. You kind of a cabaret thing, as they call it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you had the rock scene. Yeah. And but, it, but the biggest by far would have been the show band scene, wouldn't it? Yes. And in, in the 70s, then, the show bands changed. Like the show bands in the 60s, the Royal Show Band and all that. But in the, in in places like the Top Hat and Formoy, where we all went, right? Um, On a Friday and Sunday night. Sunday night, you could usually have Big Tom or Philomena Begley, more country-style bands. And um, but nearly every show band, or every show band, not nearly every, was guaranteed to have a great guitarist. Yeah. They all had great players. Yeah. And speaking of Big Tom, there was a guy with Big Tom called um, Patsy McDermott. Patsy, Patsy McDermott, I Pat know what Mac. I played with him. Yeah, an amazing player. Yeah. And I used to go to Big Tom, and my friends used to say to me, this guy, you're going to see Big Tom. Yeah. And I said, this guy with him is just amazing. And he's still amazing. He's amazing. <laughs> and a friend of mine, I knew Packy in New York as well, yeah. And who I saw with Paddy Colban, actually, speaking of guitars, was Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith, who's yeah. still playing in Dublin. No, yeah, I know, yeah, Jimmy, yeah. and a legendary player. And I have more stories about him, actually, in the Bogey Boys. But um, he he, um, he was playing with Paddy Cole. Then the, the, um, the freshman had a great t- Tiger Taylor, an amazing guitarist. And then you had Rob Strong and the Platterman. Yeah. And they were doing kind of like um, Joe Cocker, Blood, Sweat and Tears. Yeah. Uh, the memories were doing like they done uh, Bohemian Rhapsody as a cover. I meant live. Imagine it like. I know, it, yeah. It's incredible. Uh, you find it hard to find a band doing it now. Exactly. You know? And uh, yeah. so you had like, um, in the 70s, Hoss Lips were playing in ballrooms. 
Yeah. So it, if for a country full of like, you had a lot of, um, it wasn't just, uh, it had changed from the 60s. Yeah. They were more rock orientated maybe. The dance halls themselves were still there, but the acts film, filling them had gotten edgier and more rock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like when you look at, the, there was a, there's a great documentary about the horse lips. Uh, uh, something about the dance hall sweethearts. Remember the dance hall sweethearts? Mm. And it's about that era of going yeah. into dance halls, which would have been traditionally been used for social yeah. dancing or, you know, show band stuff and having rock gigs in them, you know, and just a fantastic era for Irish music because yeah. people in rural areas got to see the big touring Irish bands on a, on a, on a national level, you yeah. know. Of course, playing with show bands, you know, I, I, I played with... Um, that was 75, I was with Oliver Tobin. And then, um, from that day, now, I, I, different bands, Paul Benz, myself and Chris Holley, and, uh, and uh, Bonnie Nell again were playing, and I was filling in with a lot of different people. And then I started playing with uh, Tom Baylor, who had a band from my college, Cinders. And uh, uh, that was a, a very busy band. Like in 1977, we played, we were, we were the house band in Killarney. In the in the Glen Eagle, yeah. So we were playing. Um, there was a band there called uh, the Swinging Jarvis. They went to, to Canada. So Morris, I don't know how it was. He was the owner of the gas man. So that was an amazing experience too. Because in Killarney we were playing. I remember '77. We played 14 weeks without a night off. Without, you know, every every night. Yeah. You'd never get it today, obviously. No, no, no. And uh, in Killarney then on a, on a Monday night, um, used to have. Um, um, Joe Cuddy used to play it on a Monday night I think with Angus McAnally playing guitar Angus. with him and with many then uh, you'd the Wolf Tones used to play there every Wednesday I think Thursday night the Dubliners would play there the Furies and um, so that was a we had great session Dermot O'Brien so the band was we'd come on the, the Tom Baylor's band and Cecil and Drummers myself and um, a few more and um We'd play for about half an hour. Didn't Dermot O'Brien come on and he'd do a, these cabaret kind of shows and brought in the accordion, bass and drums. And then uh, the, the featured act of the night, it could be, as I said, Johnny McAvoy, um, the Dubliners, uh, whoever, you know, Joe Dolan. And we and then after hours, then we'd have, there'd be a mighty session. And uh, we'd have sessions with the Dubliners and the Furies and all those people. Do you know what I mean? So um, I remember... Luke Kelly, his drink was a, a pint of vodka and soda. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, um, so that, that, was, uh, that was 77. And then, um, 78, then um, I I joined Lotus Whisper. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was another, that was in the rock scene then, and they were records and they had records on the charts at the time a song called You and I yeah they were commercially successful exactly band, yeah. yeah and um, so I was um, you know we were playing in places like the Baggett Inn in Dublin um, the, uh, the Oslo Hotel in Galway the, um, the Cellar in Galway Sunday, Sunday morning uh, Gladstone Arms in Clan Mill but you see in, in Ireland in the 70s in the 77 um, every town had a rock venue, an original mm-hmm. venue. In 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 uh, Tralee, it was the famous the Abbey Inn that you two used to play there. Yeah, and you know the story about there. Denny Lean made him sweep you, the floor. You told me this. This is brilliant, but I let it say it again for for our listeners. He, he had you two playing there, and uh, 
he did, I don't think they were down too well, you know. They were uh, well, you're, being, you're being polite there, Omar. And, uh, <laughs> Christ, and he said, it. before he paid them anyway to get his money worth, he made them clean up the pub and sweep the floor. <laughs> Bono and the yeah, age. Yeah, that's right, sorry. <laughs> they needed humbling da- anyway. Danny Lean, uh, who on DRB, and he, he had Bono sweeping the floor before he got paid. To make like, up the money for That's that. right, yeah. So, um, so, um, but, that, but Tralee was a, a big rock town at the time. But every every town had a venue. Yeah. And uh, then I was 78 and I was playing with other people. And then around 79, then we were doing, um, I got involved with Oliver Keane, great musician, he's still living in Bishopstown, Cork. And he was with the Tobins as well and the impact. After Rory Gallagher, he joined him, great, he's a great guitarist, multi instrumentalist. And he had a, started a thing in McCroom called Happening 79. And Happening 79 was a jam session on a Thursday night. And uh, it was amazing. Noel Redding, then he, that's how I met Noel Redding, uh, through Oliver. And um, in every Thursday night, we would have different lineups. Um, not Thursday night sessions, we feel, but it's in a, and uh, the place used to be jointed. Uh, jointed, pardon the pun, because there was a lot of... Um, Small going <laughs> on as yeah, well. Exactly, it uh, was. Uh, and, uh, you know, but that was a time where I suppose, you know, you would have a... Um, a bit of inspiration peace and love uh, peace and love <laughs> and um, you could have a 25 minute song you know JJ Kale song to do. So, and jam away into and, it yeah and, and the, all the audience would be into it as well I quite often speak of, on, on the podcast about the benefits of a good session yeah. like to you know for uh, you know not from a commercial sense but for a group of musicians to meet regularly like we did in Banos yeah, all yeah. those years that you often join us it improves your playing it yeah. makes you learn new tricks it, you know yeah. it brings you along and it gives you an opportunity yeah. to play what you want to play rather than a, an official yeah. gig where you'd come in and you'd have to please the crowd and you'd have to do a well, bit of this I, and do ex- that exactly and you know what if there's any advice I give to um, um, anyone playing music is um, like if you're playing music and you're making loads of money, that's that's fine. And if you're doing nothing for yourself, you'll suffer. If you're doing everything for yourself, maybe you're a songwriter and you're making absolutely no money, you'll suffer another way. Mm, yeah. So if you could kind of... Balance. If you could get a balance in that. And, but I always done that. Yeah. I always, even when I was wearing the suit, I was always at some blues jam or some trad session or something. To keep your interest. And and even today. Today I, I play with the, with the choir on the Sunday morning in, in, at Mass because I meet the neighbours and yeah. it's, it's great, you know, and, and uh, even joining yourselves in a session, Middleton, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've, you've parted with a lot of valuable information from me down through the years as well. Yeah. Some good mentoring. Yeah, you told well, me an you. Abs- a, a, a gym one time, I'll repeat it. But then whenever, did you ever hear this quote, lads? Be careful how you treat people on the way up because <laughs> you'll meet the same people again on the way down. Yeah, yeah. well, and that, Mo that, said that to uh, me one time and he uh, said it to me right at the stage of my life when I needed to hear it yeah. funnily <laughs> enough you know so it stayed with me for well, a while I, I don't know who said it originally I have to say now yeah. that uh, I didn't say it originally I heard uh, that yeah, I heard that it's, it's an old yeah. quote but I never, quote. I'd never heard it until you had said it to me actually there's a song uh, um, Maisie McDaniel had it in Ireland in the early 60s pick me up on your way down it's a Jerry <laughs> Lewis song it's a great oh, song yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but um, so then that was 19 you know uh 78, 79, and then um, I was freelancing with people then. Um, Tom Healy had a band, the Antelopes, went to England with him for a while. Um, I lived in Oxford in 79 for about six weeks. 
and uh, I, I like to say it when I was in Oxford. I said I go to museums. I I was going to museums every day and and um, and uh, all that the libraries and all that kind of stuff was brilliant. And um, so then, nineteen eighty, then I started playing with uh, Michael O'Callaghan, big band from. Um, they were from. Um, he was based in Butterfield, and this was like um, a different style of a band. It was like a 10, 12 piece band, a br- big brass section, and Ben playing. Um, they'd be playing hunt ball, uh, balls, you know. The girl, the dance was a big dance for them. Playing a lot of kind of Glenn Miller, uh, that kind of music. Uh, we used to play in Dublin um, on a Friday night, and the Iron was the name of the place, and people would come in, uh, you know, from and belly farmer places with, with um, their dancing shoes and a Rochester store bag <laughs> and uh, you know they'd be dancing cha-cha-chas and tangos they'd be yeah. people serious dancers like you know yeah yeah. and uh, and so we were in suits and we had music stands and the yeah. box you'd sit and uh, you'd sit down you'd stand up and you'd take a solo which wouldn't be often as a guitarist in that kind of a band but that was a brilliant uh, experience because that was a complete departure I was playing a lot of uh, music of the 40s I suppose you know and and um, uh, songs like Louis Prima, Bonazera, Signorita, Bonazera, all that kind of stuff. Big and, band uh, stuff. Like, big yeah. band stuff, yeah. 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 And um, so that was a very successful band. And I I played at them until 81. And uh, then there was a band home from New York. Uh, they were on tour and they were looking for some great standing room, a band called the Mason's Apron. They were successful in New York. And uh, I sat in with him and um, he said, Will you come to America? And I said, Sure. No, I was 27 at the time. and uh, to put it in perspective here, if somebody said to me, will you come to Mongolia? I'd say, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I had no... If not, why not? Exactly, yeah. there was, you know... I think you need to be that way as, as a young musician, though, to take to get the well, opportunity to Well, I was very lucky. I, yeah. I, I, was, I, was, I was single, and... Uh, Have you done a gig in Mongolia? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yes. and it, he and might I, do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, but um, I was single, and... Uh, my mother, I said, I want to settle down. I said, I settle down, but I come home in the morning, you know, settle down every night, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, but I'll be gone but, again. Um, but I went to America in 81, and I was in New York then for, um, for a number of five years. And uh, I done a lot of freelancing in New York with a lot of different people, and I played with um, a guy called Noel Kingston. He was a guy from Kerry, very successful guy in New York, amazing singer, Irish tenor. Sing opera, all that stuff. So we did some amazing gigs, and um, we had a residency in uh, Manhattan, Lower Manhattan, Thirty Third Street, um, the Blarney Stone. I think it was, and um, I played Rosie O'Grady's as well, a uh, um, big uh, venue in Seventh Avenue. I was resident there with that band, Mason's Apron. We played on a Monday night. So uh, you know, to be in, I lived in Long Island, so I lived in New York. Um, you know, for five years, and I drove in out to Manhattan, and uh, imagine I survived in New York playing music in the yeah. 80, in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It, was a, it was a great time though. In the, it was a great time in America, the eighties, because if you were going to be an Irish immigrant anywhere, that was the time to do it. Yeah. To be uh, an Irish immigrant in New York in the eighties was just an amazing time. Yeah, and how big was the scene there then that you were in? I mean, it was huge. It was huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, all scenes. I mean, there was lots of. Um, I played with um, um, a wedding band where we had uh, Arlene Gold. She was a singer. She was Jewish, 
uh, Gary Braglia, I play, he was a piano player, I played a lot with him. He was, um, his parents would have been Sicilian. And um, so I do not have christings with him. Yeah. For, yeah. you know, the Gambino family and pe people like Get away. Because I played mandolin. You got well paid for them. Yes. And I, and what did you I do? Cafe Orchestra Stone Mandolin? Yeah, stuff I played them, mandolin. Yeah. And uh, I remember I was long there and I was playing mandolin at some christening in Saturn Island. And so this guy comes up to me and did he hurt my accent? Yes, he wanted to drink. He said, Where are you from? I said, I'm from Ireland. He, he was shocked. And I said, you're, you're, you're from Italy. And he gave me the, the dark Al Pacino look. He says, no, Sicily. I'm from Sicily. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I discovered then that was like uh, calling us English or something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, 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 but um, so, um, yeah, I'd done a lot of that kind of stuff. And then uh, in 85, then um, that band had moved to Boston. I stayed in New York. And then in 85, um, I moved to Boston. I started playing with them in Boston as well. And uh, I got married in 86, and then we moved to Boston. And um, I was playing with uh, John Joe Mason's apron, and then he bought a pub. And then I, I started playing lots of different people, doing solo gigs, and uh, in a lot of different scenes as well. Playing a lot in the trad scene, and uh, some bluegrass, and everything really. It's amazing what you're talking about, your journey. You never went for the Irish country and Irish scene really did you which was well, a huge uh, scene at the time but well that's well, the interesting thing about that go on. when when I left uh, in 1981 that scene really wasn't in Ireland in the 70s it's an 80s phenomenon yeah, I suppose yeah I was aware for that so I mean in, in in those days like you had Big Tom yeah, who had a huge following you know and a great band you had Fina Mina Begley really great country band as well uh, obviously um Larry Cunningham, all those people, but I suppose the the, the smaller kind of um, Hazel Tree and Mallow and smaller venues, but they weren't really going at that stage. Mm -hmm. For that Kids kind, for that kind of that kind of scene wasn't there. It yeah. wasn't until I came back in '96 that, it, and I did play when I came back in '96 with um, a fellow called Michael O'Brien from, from Clare. He he's in that scene. He did he did hit with a song called um, "The Veil of White Lace." And um, which is, um, I didn't realize what the song was about until we were playing in London one night, and I went out to the front of the, could to the front of the speaker. I could hear my guitar coming through the PA, and I suddenly listened to the words of it. And apparently, it is about this guy. He's going to get married, and he he goes to the church and he sees what he thinks the bride is getting married to somebody else. So what does he do? Like any good redneck, he goes out to the pickup and gets the twelve gauge and comes and he blows him away. <laughs> but <Lovely>. then <laughs> he found out it was a different wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good country song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that song was a huge hit. Like so, love and murder. What can I tell you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it never fails. But um, I done that uh, for a short while. But um, and I've played uh, with with. Uh, um, obviously Art Supple he wouldn't be in that scene Art Supple is is he's one of a kind he, he is he's Art Supple you know he's from the Shoreband era but he's um, he would have played a lot of those kind of venues so mm, I mean yeah. but Art you know Art could do everything from you know from George Jones the status quo and 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, James Brown, you name it. You never uh, tied yourself down to one genre, though, did you, as a player? Well, I, I didn't really. And I suppose, uh, first of all, I, 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 um, I loved it all. Do you know yeah. what I mean? From, yeah. from, uh, you know, from playing everything from country, ballads, jazz, whatever. And, uh, and also, I suppose, when I was in New York and, and Boston, if you played a, a few different instruments, maybe, uh, and sang and played a few in different styles, when you're working as full time, which I was in America as a full time musician, so you, you've, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've, you've, uh, it's, um, you're highly employable. Yeah, as I as I jokingly say, I'm a GP, a general practitioner. If if a phone yeah. if the phone rings and, and you pick up the phone and someone says, "There's a blues band needs a guitar player," you don't want to say, "Oh, well, I'm really more of a rocker." You t- no, in your full exactly. time, you take the gig and you go and do it. Exactly, and that's yeah. it. Like, that, yeah. That's what, that's it, really. And you'd advise youngsters not starting out to do that to not pigeonhole. I would say anyway, people shouldn't pigeonhole yeah. themselves into one genre of playing. You know. Especially well, I, if they're looking to get out there and work. Yeah, but I think, as uh, far, far as I can see now, I mean, I, a lot of guys coming out of the School of Music and that, and I meet, I won't mention names, though, because I might mention one and, and not mention 20 more. I know. But um, some amazing players, but and they're very well-rounded. Mm, so yeah. they, they, oh. a lot of the guys coming up seem to be um, very adaptable from going from playing metal to country or whatever. Well, so, I think I think that what's out there for them, the likes of them at the moment... In the past 10 years, there's been a resurgence of kind of general wedding bands who are kind yeah. of a multi-genre band. You exactly. Know? And they have to be able to do it all on the night. Like exactly, the first song yeah, might, yeah. might be a metal song. It might exactly. go into a blues song. Yeah, might yeah. go into some funk, soul, Motown. And by the end of the night, yeah. they could have covered country and five or yeah. six other genres. Like, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a different industry now to what it would have been uh, when you started, but you've yeah. adapted. You, you've gone back, you've uh, become an academic. Who got your degree? Yeah, did you um, your... I did. Yeah. I got a, a BMOS in, uh, I went to, I went to UCC in 2012. So I was there for four years, 2012 to, uh, to, and I was there with my kids. Your kids were there at the same time? They were there at the same time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not doing music, I might add. Not, they, were, they were studying also. They're more academics, yeah. They were they were doing the um, I was my daughter's on medicine my eldest girl Emily uh, Rory done BIS uh, business information systems and he just got signed with Major League Baseball in uh, New York uh, he's doing the analytics for that oh yeah statistician kind of yeah he's doing uh, he's a software developer and uh, my, my twin girl Molly done law and uh, Sarah did wound up in Trinity she done uh, psychology and. Graduated top for, top for a class in Trinity. Top of the class psychologist. And you have a doctor. You have a, uh, a solicitor, and you have an analytics expert. Uh, well, if so one of them was a mechanic, <laughs> 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 you need a plumber. You need a plumber. You need a plumber there. Now. Tell me, did you drive them on to that? Did you want them to get in to become academics? No, I, I, I did whatever they wanted. That's it. Uh, and yeah. they all, they all play music. They're, they're all great singers, and they. My son is a hip hop kind of guy, and uh, he wrote a um, great hip hop thing when he was like, and he's leaving something. He won a, an iPad at the time, which is a big thing, and uh, he's writing music away. But I told him, if you play music, play for yourself. And mm. if I go, and sure, that's what I done too. I I didn't um, like all of us here. I'm sure we're all the same. I didn't. Um, um, it's not like you make a career decision in in, in transition year. We didn't have transition years. Anyway, when I was. Well, I, as I jokingly say, I've done five transition years. 
Yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> but um, we we didn't have like, oh, I'm going to become a musician. And yeah. and if there was a career guidance council in those days, that would be the last thing they tell you. Yeah, I mean. yeah. But he, but the thing is, like, uh, it it just evolved like a stone rolling down a hill. But I will say one thing. Uh, I I um, survived recessions. I saw a bad recession in America in the early uh, the early nineties. All my neighbours lost their homes, and I was doing six gigs a week. You still had that. It's yeah. really like music was it's, your safety. No, net. the only time where music stopped was during the pandemic. Yeah, in all your years. For everyone. And yeah. now people are wary of it and untrusting of it as, an, uh, as a profession, but that was the only time that was in the history only time that it in stopped. History yeah. stopped. Yeah. Crazy, like, you know? Yeah. You often told me before, just on the topic of your kids, that you think maybe they benefited from the liberal uh, kind of um, upbringing they had as a de- with a dad as a, as a full-time musician. Well, you know, if you, if you do... Um, uh, like, if you... There's a f- famous, I know, the YouTuber thing where this career guidance counsel is a marketing. He goes into a classroom and he says, No, despite what I've told you, I just want you to all say what you really would want to do if you had a choice. Mm. So they all came up with something which was not what they had said first. Uh, mm. Yeah, and that's what they should do. Yeah. And and in fairness, like, um, you know, when Sarah, um, no, she works at Apple, she works at Apple, she, but when she graduated from Trinity and, um, I said to the fellow at the gate, um, typically a real double like his character, you know. I said, this is a victory for the peasants. And he said, what do you mean? I said, they only left the legs of us in here wanting him to cut the grass. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, uh, and, uh, but like, um, but uh, they're doing stuff they're, they're into. Yeah, you know, they, I, they didn't pick those jobs. They said, oh, you make a lot of money at this. You, you weren't know? shoving it down their throats. No, no, me exactly. And said, Look, you could end this money and this. It was yeah. from and, and the same thing with music. We all know this. Anybody I've ever met who went into music for to make money didn't stay at it long. Yeah, I've mentioned this a few times, but I did the solo thing for a few years just to try mm-hmm. and increase my profits, and it just derailed the whole thing. It actually yeah. put st- you off music. I'm still reeling from it, like, and it stopped yeah. at the pandemic. But I just, I yeah, lost yeah. a lot of ground and a lot of interest you by doing it, it by doing it solely for income. Yeah, and yeah. I try and you know stick in another gig and try and up the wages yeah. and just try and make money. And I tell you, it was, I'm still not right. Yeah. I, I still I, can't, uh, yeah, you I know. Look, I look upon it like find like, my pocket, like the guys uh, who train uh, horses. Yeah, you know that's that's a tough business, it, and it's I like learning to music in a way. People who are on jockeys as well. I know, obviously, Livy and Connor, we're surrounded by all that world, you know, horses yeah. and jockeys and all that. But they have the same mentality, really. The people who train horses, uh, the people who are in it for in the long term for generations. I mean, if they get a winner, fantastic. You know, it's a big thing. But they'll do it because that's what they are. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's what, that's what, that's what. They well, just, they do, yeah. they, the whole scene is what they're, that's what they're about. And the people in that world who, same as building from the Celtic Tiger, with the, you know, fellas who came in to make a quick buck, and they're all gone. But the people who are in that game, is part of what they are. Same with music. I know. I remember my father saying when I when I first started playing, maybe when I, maybe when I first did one or two of my first gigs, he says, "Look, you're in now, and you know I got paid for them." Yeah. He says, "Look, you'll never, you might never be a millionaire, but you'll never go hungry." Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and I haven't. <laughs> and I, can I haven't yeah. done either. I yeah. can honestly say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's grand to make a few bob at a gig, 
But if we weren't making the few bob, I'd still do it. You know, well, I'd, you, often think I'd what, still want to go out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, I'd still yeah. want to get out. Like, that's we had a gig on Sunday night. I was talking to David Bowden in the car on the way up into Crane Lane. Do you know, sometimes everything falls into, yeah. everything kind of falls into place and goes right. You know, we were yeah, like yeah. a bank holiday. We didn't know it was going to be like a real bank holiday because it's this new Mickey Mouse bank holiday. But they didn't, do, they didn't open the doors from the lane into the theatre until right before we started. So we <sighs> sound checked to an empty room and... I was nervous because my dad was there. He hadn't been at a gig in years, and the doors opened, and fucking five hundred people just spilled into the fucking room. And it Wait was just, you know, see, like, yeah. when you're a step man and you're going right, I don't have to worry about sound because we know the sound man's good. I don't yeah. have to worry about selling tickets. I don't have to worry about getting paid. It's all arranged. All you have to worry about is going out and doing it. Well, I remember I was doing a gig one night down Belly Duff solo gig, and uh, there was a guard uh, sitting at, at the gig. He was sitting down having a pint. He was retired. And uh, he said to me, um, he said, that was amazing. And no, I didn't look upon it that way because, you know, you're doing a pub on a Saturday night. You played a few of the right songs at the right time and everyone was having yeah. a crack and everyone yeah. was enjoying themselves. Yeah. And I, I said, yeah, it's not really. I said, no, he said, <laughs> you have to realise this. He said, in my profession, he said, in 40 years when I came to anyone's door, it was bad news. Yeah. He said, oh, I, I, you know, he's a lovely guy. He said, maybe if somebody killed in an accident or someone's over, but he said, I only dispense bad news. He said, you're dispensing joy. And I thought about it after, you yeah. know. It's a very interesting thing. It's like, golden. We're in a privileged, yeah, we're in a privileged yeah. position and we don't know it sometimes. Like, yeah, so we I, can, and we can, we can heavily impact someone's life with that power. You know, exactly. we don't know the mindset of someone when we, I don't have to get too heavy, but walk into a room and we're setting up the PA, there could be someone sat there who got a bit of bad news or is down or down yeah. the dumps yeah. and a good, what we call in the band, we call it a scalper, it, a good happened, gig, yeah. a good, right, good gig yeah. could turn someone around. Like and the other side of that thing, you might play inside the bar, the band or whatever, and you, you might be just on top of your game. Everything sounds great. It's just amazing, and nobody's taking a blind bit of notice. Yeah. And, That's more my experience. And, and then uh, when you play something we know, like uh, I give a shit. do something and, to get yeah. them going, are one of the strangest uh, things. Uh, and yeah. I quite often say it to musicians, because everyone has experienced it. Have you ever done one where you're playing to a room of people, and while you're playing, I said, "This is awful. None of them like what I'm doing." You're looking at the clock. You can't wait to get out. And when you put down the guitar, they all come up to you and say, Jez, that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I, know. Yeah, I can't yeah. figure that one out. And they like. couldn't tap a foot just and to tell you, like, yeah. nothing. Just I nothing. Mean, Blank I stares. Mean, you know, yeah. yeah, but look, that's You're it. You're hardly finishing, are you? Yeah. You haven't clapped on. <laughs> Can you remember your best gig or your favourite gig? Have you any one that stands out well, in your uh, mind? You know, and there's lots of gigs. And I mentioned they are playing with different people and played in the trad scene as well with... Um, uh, Liz Doherty, uh, Grace Seamus Tansy. But um, I, I played at the Gradham Keol Awards with um, Richard Dwyer when he got composer of the year. And I was, I have a friend of his, we'd done a lot of playing together in New York. And um, so we were playing on a cruise ship actually from New York to Bermuda. That's another story, I have a good story about that for you. I can tell it now, the statute of limitations are out. <laughs> um, I was playing on a cruise ship actually with Noel Kingston Band. I went to Bermuda and um, I didn't realise it but I'd gone I'd left I'd gone out of America so I was illegal do you know what I mean yeah yeah and um, I was a legal alien it's a great term like 
and um, so we're coming back into New York and uh, so the, the immigration set up in the in the in the ballroom of the of the of the ship. They did not, and everyone had to walk past. So <laughs> move overboard. Fuck. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I did, I did, I did, I'd come up with a plan fairly fairly lively anyway, and because I got to know the know the staff, you know what I mean. We were drinking heavy at the time, and I got they were all Filipino, lovely people, and I got to know the staff, you know, and as we all do. I mean, I will say, like, as a musician, if you were playing with a wedding band, I'm playing the vocals now, doing the wedding scene, and like, if you're playing, and you're playing with a, in, in, a, in a wedding band or whatever, and you're going to a hotel, I mean, you're the same, you're, you're part of the service industry. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So don't be giving a hard time to some waitress. Because they're the same. Uh, because they're the same you, yeah, we're, in the, we're in the same, we're doing the same kind of job. We're in the service industry. So I'd look upon it like that, you know, and it's the same when I lived in, so I got friendly with the staff, obviously, I'd know them all first names. So anyway, the immigration set up, and I said, oh my God, so one of the Filipino guys said, no problem. So I brought me down through the engine room, under the ballroom, and I gave my guitar to her, Richard, I said, you take that, I'll see you. He said, you're going to be, a? I said, don't worry, I've sorted. And I went down under the, under the ballroom, through the Steerage. engine room, and, uh, and came up to the other side, and on the dock in Brooklyn without, without having to do it but I will say one thing though here's an, uh, here's, you smuggled off the boat here's, here's something that I, and I can say this now because I'm, I'm a citizen actually I'm an American citizen and uh, I have a right to bear arms uh, even though I haven't killed anyone yet but um, <laughs> uh, but I, I played piano in the White House as an illegal alien and uh, so that's uh, that was 1984 and I went to how uh, did you play piano well, it was kind of a, it wasn't official as such, but I went to New York, to Washington with Denise, and I uh, went down there for a uh, for a week. And I'd done the you know the Smithsonian, and um, her mother was friendly with a congressman, and uh, I better not mention his name. He's, he's I think he's not around anymore, anymore. but but so she got VIP tickets that we get a tour of the White House. So we got these VIP tickets, and I was illegal at the time, like and so <laughs> boyfriend and girlfriend at the time, and so we went. We went in, um, all the regular Americans were waiting for hours, you know, for coming from Iowa and wherever else. And so we went in the West Wing with about maybe five or six other people who had the VIP tickets as well. So, so we were brought through all these different rooms and we were passing this room and there was um, the famous Steinway piano built for the White House with the, the legs carved like the, um, like the, 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 the American Eagle. And it was autographed by uh, Irving Berlin, George Gershwin, all that. Oh, yeah. So it was kind of roped off. And I, I said, you know, can I, I'd love to play a tune. They said, oh, okay, I guess that's okay. There was a picture of Jimmy Carter. Reagan was in power at the time. A picture of Jimmy Carter on the wall. So I played um, George on my mind. And uh, I got a pleasure. And then one of the Secret Service guys said, oh, you give us an Irish song. So I said, I did. So I ended up entertaining the Secret Service this went on for 20 minutes and then <laughs> no green minutes. card no That's green cool. card no, yeah, exactly yeah. and then uh, so then uh, I came up from the piano I've delighted with myself like you know and um, and I, Denise she's like wait oh my god she says what's wrong she says you're legal I said that's the best part <laughs> <laughs> hiding in plain sight and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly yeah. and uh, I met Ray, um, Ray Flynn he was mayor of Boston I knew Ray Flynn because he's a drinking Irish barrels and Clinton made him um, ambassador to the Vatican. I told him that story. 
So he to- he met me about a year after, and he he said he told Clinton that story. Clinton said, "Tell that men well done." Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that's my. Um, that's, that's a great story. Very good. Thanks, Paul. That's great. Of course, in those days, in in immigration, like um, what people done as myself, you you arrived in. Uh, uh, in New York or Boston with a return on a return ticket and you give the other half your ticket sold or whatever to somebody who was going home and I actually don't have a Packy McDermott so I checked Packy in at the, at the airport and uh, under my name and gave him the boarding pass and it's, it's currently, it looked like I was gone yeah so yeah. that's that's how mm-hmm. that so was before computers and all that. Yeah, databases and all that. Yeah, yeah. you've been uh, active in music so since uh, the early seventies in Cork and West Waterford. But being, you're a West Waterford man, taking no, Connor, Connor's Cork. Yeah, yeah Connor. So in Cork, namely in in uh, since then, you would have seen a lot of fellas coming up onto the scene, as you said a while ago, even from the school of music and things like that. What are you keeping your eye on now? Is there anything out there that you like from a local perspective, like well, regional uh, music? interesting. Yeah, well, when I was in UCC, actually, uh, class, Claire Sands is one of my classmates. Claire Sands. And, and Breedine. Of course, Breedine, Breedine Yeah, McGowan, so, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they were, I was, Isn't she doing fantastic? Fantastic. I was, moment, I, was yeah. in, I was in class with him for uh, four years. If anyone wants to check out um, uh, Breedine, uh, just on, on, on Facebook or Spotify, she's a yeah. harpist, multi-instrumentalist, drag player, um, be out of Sligo, in a scrolling county Sligo, and she is yeah. fantastic. But uh, I hate mentioning names as such because there's so many young people um, I hear now who are amazing. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know. They're obviously, really we know, know Mick Flannery. I know Mick. You know, I yeah. Know, I knew his mother, God rest her, and uh, now his dad, and um, um, he's a great songwriter. You know, and obviously John Splain. Um, but there's um, there's a lot of great um, there's great songwriters. Um, Jack O'Rourke is one. Jack O'Rourke is another guy. Fantastic yeah. songwriter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, you've really truly kept your ear well. Yeah, but, it, but I suppose the thing about um, maybe um, John Splane would probably be probably one of the few. I could I, I could be wrong here, now, but he'd probably be one of the few singer songwriters that's really pro- doing it professionally, making a good living. I hope he is. I, I know he is. He is yeah. yeah, he's he's he sells out shows all the time. Yeah. But even though there's a lot of great singer songwriters um, to transfer to. You know, to convert that into making a living, it, yeah. it seems to be harder than ever. It's a difficult thing to do. We talk about that on this one, that it's a slog. Yeah. If the guys that you assume must be doing great because they're on the radio sometimes aren't because it's hard to convert your exactly popularity to financial success. So, you know? for instance, like, can you tell me where is there a venue, not just sing a song, but an original venue? Where is an original venue? in Cork that people are paying in to see a band well I find that once you get to a certain level there are ones like Cypress Avenue and the Opera House that will hold literally hundreds of people but by the time you can sell hundreds of tickets you've already got to that level I find there's nothing from the ground up to there like if you want if you want to sell 200 tickets which is what a band with maybe their first EP want to sell 
where do they go like where's where the meeting you, place he, where's, where's he, exactly where's the, the meeting for the original bands for the, yeah. For, yeah. For the bands who the are, meeting place Tony Moore he's, what a man you've got Mike DePoise which is in this duel that would be kind of one of them you'd have Connolly's a lip you Connolly's know? a lip yeah, you'd yeah, have yeah, Collins yeah. in Cork Collins is Belly Harbour there's a venue and yeah Levi's in Bally the Home yeah but lads, there's only a handful of them. There's only a handful. What I'm talking about back in the 70s is one every time. But here's another interesting thing. Take Electric Picnic, right? It's, it's scandalous that in Electric Picnic, only the top few acts get paid. Yeah. I mean... You pay, might get 50 quid for petrol. You might yeah. get a camping voucher. I know. I played... I've done it. I, uh, I played at um, the Mountain Dew Festival, 1979. McCrew Mountain Dew Festival. Yeah, exactly. 79. Who played at it? Um... 79, I think, is Rory Gallagher. It and, wasn't. And, you, yeah, that was that Rory's first open um, air. Ireland's first open that air That was concert. the actual first. Yeah, was it, that the first open air festival? festival no, it wasn't actually. The first The first rock festival in Ireland was in Belly Vaughan, County Clare, back oh, in the yeah. 60s. Oh, yeah. And the reason Belly I know Vaughan. that... Yeah. Belly Vaughan, yeah. And uh, the reason I know that is Lotus Whisper played it. You played it that one? I didn't well. play it with Lotus Whisper, <laughs> but, they, but they played it in, at, in the 60s. I wouldn't blame one of them. But getting back to 79, I was playing with a band uh, that were kind of put together for the festival called the West Cork Band. And uh, it was Dan Fitzgerald was drumming. Uh, I think Chris Holly was playing bass, Alfred Keane, um, Bob Carney playing sax. He's dead now, myself on guitar. And uh, there were seven, seven or eight of us in the band. But we got paid. We got, you know, we got... We got paid, we got drink and food and all, everything. You know I'm saying we got treated well. Mm. There was no such thing as, as a band in those days playing for free, yeah. for exposure. Mm. There was none of that carry And the on. thing is, tickets for these festivals are dearer than ever. Exactly. So somebody's getting money, somebody's getting paid. But well, it's the fact that there's so many stages now, the, the side stages, there's, there's a lot going a lot on. Stages, but the thing Can is, you pay people everyone? Are, people are so desperate to get their original stuff out. Because there's such a, a, a and they're a, being they're being used because of that. I mean, and and just like well, then, and then you're getting yeah. maybe <laughs> as I off, as I famously said, um, it's good music for bad money and bad music for good money. That's true. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine hiring yeah. a guy to come over to your house to put in some cabinets and you saying to him, "I know you're a top class cabinet maker and you can do Louis the Fourteenth style furniture, but I want you to do the worst." shit job that you're capable yeah. of and I'll pay you four times the money yeah that's it like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. one thing I'm telling young musicians yeah. at the moment in every level even pub gigs I'm telling them say no I'm telling them stay at home don't ever be afraid to turn something down exactly a gig will come in and you say that doesn't sound right what's that one? fucking 80 euros and a bag of chips at the end of it. that doesn't sound right say yeah. no Yeah. you might say yeah that's alright the next fella will do it for that but if he says no as well, we'll eventually have to get exactly. what we want, like, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, people nearly expect music now for, you know, for free. Do you well, know but you expect it, but they are getting it for free. Because exactly. I mean, in my time, um, you saved up to buy an album. Yeah. And that yeah. was a big thing, like, and, and, caught, and there was another thing about that, too. You saved up to buy an album, and you'd know, you'd know every mistake in that album, a live album. Yeah. You'd know when the guy was coughing in the track number five in the third row or whatever. So you'd know everything about it. But now it's just overkill. If I, I mean, go on Spotify or whatever, YouTube, and if you want to, I mean, it's just, it's just mine. So nobody pays for music. But like the effort and the cost of creating the music, you know, when you think of yeah. the work that goes into creating the music, you know, you're writing 
a song, never mind 10 or 12 of them. You're, and plus you're the fact, you, you coming you, up you, with the music. What about big acts that spend maybe 5 million producing a song that you're going to listen to on the phone? Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. yeah. Nobody has big F off speakers anymore. No, yeah, <laughs> they don't. Yeah. Us weirdos, yeah. we, we do. We're weirdos. <laughs> Bill Bird, the comedian, said it was just a really expensive business card doing DVDs and specials. Exactly. Yeah. That was all it was. That's all it is, yeah. yeah. And people just grab it for free. And as I said, in, as yeah. I've said on it before on the podcast, you might get onto one of these festivals, onto the circuit with your first album. Your name will be tiny down the bottom. The following year, it might get up <coughs> to the mid-section of it. Maybe you're promoting another album. Yeah. You still won't be paid. And by the time you just get your name maybe onto the top tier of the big acts, it's off to England with you. Yeah. You know, because you start yeah. all over again over there. I, I wrote a poem when I was in... I write poems all the time, but this, I wrote a poem when I was in first year in UCC. And we were having this conversation with my classmates. And, uh, they were, and they were all 40 years younger than me. So it's a poem called You'll Be Grand. And it's about that. It's about like um, you know playing at a festival. You might be, you might be on at um, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning when the, the staff are cleaning the place up. Yeah, and maybe the British yeah. had chili peppers are there last night. So technically, you shared the stage with them, but you didn't really. That's it. Ah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. this is called "You'll Be Grand." Can't sing or play, no problem. You'll be grand, like my page, like my band. Do you know I shared the stage with Elvis and the Beatles, the Hollywood Bowl, back in 94. I went there on a tour. I kissed a girl whose mother kissed Mick Jagger, though he didn't shagger. My <laughs> uncle served a drink to Ronnie Cray back in the day when you had to sign for Decca or some label. Now it's all fair game. Go and grab the fame. Do it yourself. Band in a box, garage band, Cubase, Freebase. Develop a habit. End up in a clinic. Go on opera, become the next big thing. Do the concert tour, become a whore for the sun, the mirror and the star. Feed the hungry from afar. Host a show on how to start the band, you'll be grand. Yeah, a lot of truth in that. <laughs> right, There's a lot of truth in that. You were first year in college. Yeah. I was only, I wrote that as a bit of a joke for the right. test yeah. you know? um, There's another topic I want to glance over now. More. Stick in the fire. Mo was the um, was hold the on mate Henny I'm just going to save that because it's oh, all yeah. gold and it, yeah. it, there's an hour gone we'll just we'll save it and we'll, we'll, we'll start just so we yeah we're all good Mo yeah. Mo is the only man I know that was on top of Britney Spears and Beyonce at the same time <laughs> <laughs> and I let him expand on that well now it's only 20 years um, <laughs> and uh, I forgot to mention them already um, it's 2004 uh, Tim Reardon wrote the Langer song Natural gas was uh, the band. Exactly, and I was with the band at the time. And um, I'm actually going abroad from, uh, next month. We're going to Bahrain, um, Dubai, and uh, Abu Dhabi, I believe. And um, But Tim wrote the song anyway, and uh, and Tim Jokely says that too. We were on top of Britney Spears and Shania Twain for four weeks. But it was an amazing thing, really, because the Langer song was, it was a genuine hit in the pop charts. Yeah. Because there was a charts in them days. People walked into a, a shop, they bought a CD. Uh, we had singles, it was a CD single, and it sold huge amount. And It was huge, it was everywhere. It was oh, everywhere, was, yeah. yeah. Every time and you turn on the radio, it was there. It was everywhere, and of course it got the benefit. A lot of local DJs started playing it and did it took off. But it was, um, as I mentioned, uh, it was in the main charts. Whereas nowadays, like, you could have... 
you could be in the iTunes uh, alternative chart or something. Yeah, and you could be and in the iTunes alternative he, Cork um, yeah, uh, unsigned be, chart. You could be you could be number one at, at five to seven on a Monday morning, and you could photos, you could Photoshop that. And, but they know that. That's uh, why they do it. They they, they want the bands to use yeah, that as their then, promo. And then you could go on make. Facebook and say, "Oh, I'm number one." Blah blah. Oh, yeah, but, but back then there was the Imra the Imra chart yeah, of official yeah. sales that, that, that yeah it was number they, one. There was yeah. no. It came out once a week, and there was no yeah. like the Billboard Top 100 in America. Yeah, there's, it was number no, one. So um, there's no faking it; it's the real deal. So and um, it was. Uh, do you know what you talked about? Wanting things to happen, and that was just a complete freak that happened. Yeah. Uh, and Tim wrote a lot of great, uh, serious songs. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And uh, he still is writing. He wrote a great song there um, about um, uh, Margaret Barry and the traveling uh, singers. You know, it was a great song. But um, anyway, that took off. And but because of that, we. Um, we started going abroad. Uh, we went to Russia. We wound up in Siberia, playing for an oil company for their Paddy's Day um, gig. And uh, been to Russia nine times. You've been to Russia nine times? Yeah, and, um, and I've been to Brazil four or five times, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Never afraid to go travelling more where you like no. a bit of travelling, do you? I love it, yeah. It yeah, expands yeah. the mind. It does for the head. Yeah. Russia is a different world. It's just uh, a different place. Right. Yes, yeah, it's... it's um, Great music there as well. Yeah. Amazing musicians. And um, so, um, um, yeah, but uh, to Abu Dhabi, Dubai, um, 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 so, um, yeah, lots of different places. But anyway, getting back to, to the song, the Langer song, so um, we got a notoriety out of that, all right, and uh, a lot of good gigs came out of it. And, um, and Tim is retired now from his job, and uh, but he's gigging away. He's doing well. He's, he's a residency in the Oliver Plunkett now. Yes, well, he's had that for a while. He's there yeah, a long time. Yeah, he's there yeah, Jimmy Morrison, yeah. sometimes yeah, John Murphy. Right, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Isn't that great, though, to retire? What yeah. did he, out of interest, what did he do? He was a prison officer. He was a prison officer. He was, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah but he yeah, was always yeah. gigging, wasn't he? Like, always, He's yeah. always been flat out. But isn't that great to be able to retire and do that and not be... It's a great retirement thing, because it can be as casual as you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good, though. He provides a good, solid two hours of good entertainment. Oh, he is, exactly, yeah. Yeah, he is. Rock solid, yeah. There's a uh, there's a big market for the pub thing nowadays, isn't there? I mean, there's a lot of pub acts out there playing, yeah. and you know yeah. the solo duo thing. The idea of the balladeer has become somewhat diluted, really, over the past couple of years. I think that you know, there's an awful lot of kind of guys who will throw their hand at folk and ballads in a kind of a generic kind of a way, yeah. like you know. But Cork has a fantastic. Uh, kind of history of proper balladeers, like proper songwriters, like you know. Oh yeah, well obviously Jimmy Crowley, um, who's got an album out at the moment. Give him a bit of a plug there himself. And We're going Eve. to get Jimmy on. We have yeah. Jimmy lined up yeah. to come and, and see uh, us. Yeah. But Jimmy is amazing because he, Jimmy was the first guy really who sang ballads in a Cork accent. But what a, what my point is, what a balladeer is now isn't really related to what a balladeer was, you know. You you know, a guy going into a pub with an acoustic guitar rolling in Dublin or a song and saying, Jesus, he's a great balladeer. He isn't really. A balladeer, right. A balladeer to me is Jimmy Crowley, like, you know. Yeah. Someone who can tell stories through their songs, you know. Someone who is true to 
their own cultural where they come from and like John Spillane to me would be a ballad oh right? well of course yeah and Jimmy but Jimmy would be more like um, Jimmy wouldn't have done the pubs he'd have done more folk, folk clubs, folk clubs and, yeah. and venues I mean the guys you're talking about um, I mean there's a great band they're Finnegan's Wake yeah I mean they were a band singing all the ballads and uh, they were extremely popular and um, you know singing songs that they were proper people know you know what I'm saying so they were um, there was a lot of bands like not a, there was a good few bands like them around in their yeah, time yeah, yeah. maybe not so much anymore no and um, because um, I suppose uh, maybe politically it became maybe uh, um, <laughs> maybe it became a bit, uh, maybe it was a bit edgy you know the civil rights stuff that they were writing well about. not the civil rights stuff but I suppose like the, you know like um, the you know, like um, but the funny thing about that, I remember getting a call from um, from a woman down in Limerick once, and uh, some kind of a house party, and she says to me, "Do you do rebel songs?" And uh, I could tell straight away she's pop, very posh, and I didn't know what to say. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? Mm. And uh, and uh, I said, "Just you know, if I, if I, uh, and I'm trying to get the gig, like, and and I said." Um, well, I said, uh, it really depends on the crowd, what they're in. Oh, we love rebel songs. I was asking Ballon Colleague one night, you don't happen to know any Republican songs. Define a Republican song. <laughs> yeah. one minute of the road yeah. stuff. You know? yeah. Well, it's funny, yeah. you know, I, I, as I mentioned, that gig that we did uh, last Sunday just gone, and we finished early, we finished about half eleven, so I was taking my dad home, as I said, my dad was at the gig. And we were driving past Carrig on the way home, and it was only 12 o'clock. We went into a well-known pub in Carrig too, I won't say it now, but we had a conversation with him because there was a DJ on. And we were talking about the Wolf Tone song that recently received uh, controversy in the press. Okay. Did you hear about that, more? Of course the I did, yeah, yeah. yeah. you did, yeah. yeah. There was apologies made, made, and there was a lot of Sky TV pundits calling for apologies because of a particular rebel song that was played. And my father turned around to me and says, Jesus, they wouldn't want to be in this pub and Carrick tool tonight. There'd have to be an awful lot of apologising yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. every second song he played was a rebel song, you know. And well, there's an awful disconnect between like what you're allowed, say, in certain platforms and what, yeah. how people actually talk and interact, you know. And yeah. It's uh, it's a minefield, though, that, isn't it? I mean, you do a couple of rebel songs, Mike, don't you? I've always done a couple of rebel songs, yeah. yeah. But I don't I, I'm not... My intention is never to offend anyone. Like, no. I don't think well, by yeah, their nature they're doing rebel well, songs. Say, We've yeah, all done them, Jason, probably. Say the Patriots you know? game. Like, yeah. uh, there's yeah. a song, you know, written by written by Dominic Behan. Yeah. And actually, today is Brendan Behan's 100th uh, anniversary of his birth. Today. Sorry to call in. An old friend of yours, I say, um, who died recently, Seamus Begley. Yes, right. I heard a version of him singing the oh, Patriot yeah, yeah, game recently yeah, and he, then going into a few reels yeah, yeah, and yeah. Jason things. But, um, it, was, it was brilliant. It was, yeah. I listened to it three yeah. times. Dominic like. Behan wrote that. And uh, interestingly, um, Bob Dylan did. He, he had the Clancy's in that. Greenwich Village in mm. the early 60s. Yeah. And um, with God on our side, that's, that's, the, that's the year of the Patriots game. Fairly, yeah. fairly yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, the Dylan yeah. song is The Leaving of Liverpool. Yeah. But see, when you take songs like Leaving Liverpool, Britain on the Moor, what a song. I mean, like, if if those came from, um, like, Britain on the Moor, if that came from ten, the mountains of Tennessee, yeah. we'd all be saying, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah, but, but if it's we, we kind of, we dismissed it. And actually, that's Britain on the Moor, that's, I think that could have been the first song I learned as a child. I always loved the story. When, when, mm. you, when you mentioned those songs there now, like the Patriots game, 
when you say a rebel song, Patriots game isn't one that would jump. I would always consider no, that a it, folk song. It, well, exactly, and I uh, find it. And when say you say rebel song, what's synonymous with me and rebel song is the kind of more hardcore wolf tones ones. Yeah, that would be more modern and. Uh, yeah, the provisional ones. That's what people <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah, though. The yeah. more when they say rebel song, they they want a bawdy kind of a rebel yeah, song. Like. Yeah, well, they, 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 I mean, let's face it. Like, I mean, in in the in the troubles in the north, like um, um, the rebel songs were, were more edgy, obviously. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Uh, the, men, the men behind the wires, obviously. You know yeah, what I mean. That's a yeah. song. Um, Go home, British soldiers. I mean, but now you're venturing you know, into all those kind of, kind of more nineties ones like Aero, Gary Og, which were kind of more violent rebel songs. You know, they were. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, but it's funny because when you say when you say Patriots game and stuff like that, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of bracket it as a for some for it is, but for some reason in my head I wouldn't think of it as a rebel song. You know. I know what you're saying. No, it's not. It's not. It's not a perception. But no. I, I remember that uh, foot, the controversy over the um, the, the the ladies' football yeah. after they're winning, uh-huh. like and they they're singing that that anthem like inside in the dressing room, and I I, I would I'd safely say that they they weren't saying that with a malintention. No. You know, I, no. I think it's just a chant. It is no. like you know. It is like people uh, um, ask you for um, to sing um, the Greenfields of France, which is probably one of the greatest anti-war songs yeah. ever. Uh, and the next thing they want to hear is Sean Sout. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I know it's an anti-war. Are and and speak, yeah. speaking of Sean Sout, here's a bit of interesting thing here for you. The Patriots game was about Fergal O'Hanlon, who mm. was shot with Sean Sout on yeah. that ambush yeah. in Brookborough, and he was only sixteen at the time, which is tragic, you know, and. Uh, so and uh, but it's like um, how did um, how did such a peaceful song like the Greenfields of France become associated with kind of a more militant rebel song there's a mention of uh, 1916 and yeah, well, you know, like Bruce Springsteen's when I lived in America I remember uh, Bruce Springsteen's song Born in the USA was a huge song in the 80s right it's a misconception and uh, if you listen to the lyrics of it, exactly. It's about a guy who come back from Vietnam, he's getting treated like shit. It's terrible. What did he do all this for? Mm. And it was, it was, it's it's a, the tale of Vietnam. But it became a kind of, yes, USA, USA yeah, the anthem. Repub- the Republican Party thanked him for his patriotic uh, American <laughs> yeah, but song. People don't want to have to listen to all the lyrics. They just want to get the takeaway coffee and yeah. fire the cup out the window. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. Like, like, yeah. 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 They thanked him for his patriotic, nah. and it was, it, was a, it was an anti-war anthem. Like, yeah. Yeah, but I think uh, getting back to what uh, I've been interested in about it and I have a song I wrote myself there I write a, a good few songs here and there but I have a song called Homeland that I wrote for um, the Mexican people um, in Texas when they were, and I was with them actually and somebody redneck saying when are you going home but they are home because Texas was part of Mexico at one time but the thing about it I don't think I don't think we have enough protest songs yeah and uh and I know uh, rebel songs became kind of um, uncool for a while. But if you go back to the Fenian times, God Save Ireland was almost the national oh, anthem. Yeah. That was about the uh, Manchester Martyrs. Yeah. And uh, God Save Ireland, the bold Fenian men. Yeah. Uh, Bull of Vogue. Yeah. They were all um, Portis. You know, they were all songs. I, I, I think more that for, um, for there to be great protest songs... There needs to be great causes to cling to. 
yeah. for there to be great causes to cling to, there needs to be great injustices, which there is in the world. Which there is, which right? There now. is exactly, right? exactly. But there's no one, whether they're afraid or, but it's, but ever since, I mean, ever since Rage Against the Machine in the nineties, there hasn't been a good angry protest song. Well, my friend there, I mention him now, uh, Matt Leahy. Oh yeah, yeah. Who um, today is Thursday? Today is the fortieth week that he's been outside the doll singing his song everyone should have a home oh yeah i've seen that yeah. right? oh, yeah. and uh, and that has been misconstrued as well mm. he never said every Irish person should have a home he said everybody deserves a home yeah mm. i mean mm. human beings people deserve a home yeah. you know what i mean dogs yeah. dogs are living in homes for christ's sake i know do you know, know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. Uh, people so my dog has a you know my dog is a house dog yeah it's like you know so when the saying, landlords are running the country. Yeah, but he is, um, that's a real protest song. And he, he goes up to um, the doll every every Thursday and he sings that song outside the doll. Mm. And it's phenomenal. And he, I will say, and I don't mind mentioning his name, he's a great musician and a great songwriter. He wrote a song about Stevie Nicks and he wrote, um, he's written some really good songs now. He's, he's a songwriter now, I'll mention. But he is, he is doing that He's not on a GoFundMe campaign. He's not yeah. looking for money. He's he not does promoting it. an album. No, no, he does that on his own every every week, and uh, it's a great cause. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, it's just a simple. It's it's just it's just a basic human right. Really exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. He, and I think the good thing about protest songs too, and and maybe getting back to the rebel songs, there might have been a few rebel songs written to cash in on on a trend. Oh, definitely. There's no question. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But a real protest song, like we'll say, Blowing in the Wind. Yeah. Um, um, what's that other one? Um, um, uh, Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. Yeah. Uh, this Land is Your Land, Woody Guthrie. Woody Guthrie. We you need know, another Dylan. Yeah. We need another Guthrie. We need a modern-day yeah. Irish Guthrie. But those people, all those songs that were written, um, uh, Sam Hall, all those songs that were written with heart in mm. believing in a cause, that you didn't have some guy from a song factory thinking, oh no, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, kill the Brits here and we'll do this, this, yeah, this and this yeah. and it'll be a hit. Let's have X amount of, yeah, of yeah. republicanism, X amount yeah, of this. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. No, it, people people can see through transparency like that. I mean, if, exactly. you're, if you're pandering or anything like that, whether people know they know or not, they I, know. It's, as, to, as an offshoot of that, I wrote a song, fictional one time, um, about a fellow who uh, came from um, Nocknaheeny, but he was a Ranger supporter. <laughs> his father was in Glasgow. Because uh, it had to be fictional. <laughs> yeah. The first verse of it was, um, I'm Wayne Sweeney for Nocknaheeny. My father came from Glasgow town. He supported the boys in blue and sang songs like Croppy Lay Down, Croppies Lay Down. I was thinking, like, how come there's no... Um, how come there's no loyalist uh, tribute band? Like uh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> <laughs> there definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> I went into a gig in D- Ballycolics on the night and it was for an, an a Celtic shirt. There's always one like any. <laughs> and he, he's and he's looking at me and he, and he said, uh, "I must have been wearing something blue or something." He said, uh, "Are you are you City?" He meant Man City, obviously. And I and I said something. And this is you're either, this is only going to go two ways. You're going to either going to get killed or you're going to be a hero. Uh, yeah. And. Uh, I said, no, I'm actually, I'm a Rangers man, actually. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a here cheer. anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so it, 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 it was a bit cheery. You know what I mean? You survived. 
was one question I wanted to ask you more, and I'm afraid I'll, I'll forget it. Uh, Henny put me onto this other podcast to listen to. It's the uh, the Irish music, music uh, Irish music industry, industry podcast, podcast by Mark Graham. Yeah, but with all your gigs that you did and all the countries you played in, did you ever do the the balcony TV? No, I didn't actually. Did you not? No. And I, I know that lady, Joe Collins. I think. Joe, Joe is yeah. the presenter yeah. of the Cork yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, no. There's a go ahead. No, so. go on. You'd explain it better. I'd say. There's a new three part documentary out there. No. I'm telling our listeners about another Irish podcast, right? No, it's fine. I think it's but hard. it's by a guy called Mark Graham. He's a session drummer, a lecturer in music tech in Trinity, right? Yeah. He has a, a three-part podcast on the untold story of Balcony TV and the story behind it and how it developed and what happened and where it went and it was yeah. bought out in suspicious circumstances and. But it started in Ireland. It started in yeah. Ireland just on a balcony and the thing was they refused nobody. Every, if you applied to be on balcony <laughs> TV you get an email back and say oh yeah, can you do tomorrow? Right? Yeah, yeah. And it went worldwide. And everyone was on it. Paul so. Brady had a lot to do with Ed Sheeran yeah. was on it. Yeah. Bringing it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the end the record labels came. Sony came. And they were like you know I don't want to give too much away. There's kind of a conspiracy around about why it was taken over. Conspiracy? That's unusual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine in this climate. But if, if our listeners would check it out, it is a fantastic Most musicians are not moderate people. <laughs> no, that's it. Or extremists. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, so, Mo, will we have a jam? Oh, yeah, why not? You have to get out. Well, we do. Yeah. What are we going to see? We'll do something in a. Let's throw some out. Something easy now. <laughs> something so, easy more. Okay, here's more. a song. We're talking about songs earlier on, and here's um, here's a song I wrote a number of years back. If I remember, back in uh, 2004, I was in Texas, and um, it was a Sunday, and I, I um, I was in Austin, Texas, and I, I met this um this family um, uh, they were coming from Mass, a Mexican family. And uh, with their little kids, you know, like dressed up and like their communion outfits or whatever, and beautiful family. And so I got talking to them. So they brought they brought me to a Mexican restaurant where um, there was a buffet on. It was fantastic, uh, burritos, enchiladas, the whole lot. And uh, and for about you know ten or fifteen dollars, it's unreal. So um, and I was walking back with them after, and it was all Mexicans, just in Austin. Were, were there and um, but they got abused from these rednecks like saying when are you going home and I was horrified so I, I wrote this song called Homeland because um, Texas was part of Mexico they, they were our home so here's the song and then mm-hmm. so. go back to your homeland but our homeland is where you Got your border to keep law and order to keep you free from Mexico. You like to hear our music, senoritas dancing round. You like to dance to poker and a good old cajon to sound. Go back to the homeland 
just where you live You've got your portal to keep all in order To keep you free from Mexico You like the enchilada The burrito and refried beans But you say we're illegal and go from the land of your dream Go back to your homeland But our homeland is where you live You've got your border To keep law and order To keep you free from Mexico Called Homeland. Good stuff, no? Protest song is passing away. I'd have gone around again. Very good. Great one. Brilliant. Mo, I've known you for a long time. You've always been uh, You've always been good to part with uh, uh, some wisdom and knowledge from your experience, as we said, from playing since the early 70s in Cork and further afield, in Boston, New York, Russia. The Middle East from <laughs> South America and Middleton. Uh, don't forget LA. Don't, LA. Sorry. Laura had it. Laura had it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 Thanks very well. much for coming on and having a chat with us on the It's All Music podcast. Uh, Go away, abandoning. Gave you what we owe. Gave you our allegiance and what you fade away. And now you're feeling insecure. You call on us today. So long, Mr. Hero, you better turn into stone. Cause now you're on your own Walking into your scrapbook Keep your memory satisfied Well it's much too late to wave your wand Cause your magic it is done Lovely enough Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We will want to sound there a message in that. Don't be careful of being a hero. No fear of the More thanks for coming. No, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Brilliant. As far as interviews go, I'd sit there all night listening to the stories and the music. So thanks a million. Super. Yeah. Thanks very much for inviting me down. And I know you a long time. Uh, you know, he needed longest, I suppose, if the, tr- uh, the tree was here. For your sins. And uh, Mike tonight, but I know Mike with yours as well. And um, I, I just think um, East Cork is a special place, you know. There's a great uh, great vibe amongst musicians in East Cork. And uh, I'm very grateful to be still playing music. And, and more importantly, to be still enthused about music. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm still enthused. I wrote today and I was, you know, playing the piano for a while. And, uh, and I should have been doing more stuff, you know. <laughs> um, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, um, 
I um, we better let you go, so do the hoovering. Exactly. <laughs> so um, the man who will invent the silent, silent hoover will have more money than Bill Gates. But does, you know what I mean? If you're an entrepreneur out there, if you can if you can invent a silent hoover, or better again, yeah. a hoover that cuts out when the match comes on. I mean, if you can, if you can, if anybody's listening and you can come up with that, you know what I mean? You have your here, kids. Yeah. So that's that's it. Listen, thank Thanks, you very Bob. much. Okay. Thanks, I love what you're doing and. Uh, all the best to you. Thank All you very much. Nice one. We'll have you might analyze your brain. Yeah. Your blood is spring, pictures drying on the wall. And your blood is freezing fast. And your hands hey there, thanks for tuning in to this episode of It's All Music Podcast with Kerry, Henny, past. and Quirky. Produced by me, Dave Quirk. Executive produced by me, Dave Quirk. The music by me, Dave Quirk. Incidental music by me, Dave Quirk. Talent booking by Owen Hennessy. Tea making and venue setup, Mike Carey. Yep, we're doing all this ourselves. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read in a future episode. Got a question for us? Email us at itsallmusicpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and leave a message. It too could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to It's All Music Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Dave Park production in association with ACAST. Hey there, and thanks for listening to the It's All Music podcast with Carrie, Henny, and Quirky. We're blown away by your support. The It's All Music podcast is a completely independent, self-financed venture. If you enjoy what we're doing and you enjoy listening, you can support us by heading over to our Patreon page and subscribing for €3 Euros a month. If you don't have €3 Euros a month, don't stress, you can still listen to the podcast. And you can support us by sharing our content on your social media pages.